I'm gonna commence to reading the word of God. It comes from Luke chapter 10. I want you to know this. I'm gonna read this. I, th I think you, parable of the Good Samaritan, I think you do it. I really do. I think you get this. You wouldn't be who you are. We wouldn't be the church that we are without this. Don't, don't think for a moment that when we walk through the word of God that the pastor doesn't think, I think we got this. However, I think we better really get it better than we've ever gotten it before. We better get this better than we've ever gotten it before for the sake of the people that God is going to cross your path in life. Hear the word of the Lord. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up well to test Jesus. Yikes. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. And Jesus responds, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answers, he answers with the Shama. It's really, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. It's, a, it's kind of a pat answer, but it's a, it's a really good answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And he says... And who is my neighbor? And we can, we can bang at this expert in the law for asking this, justifying himself, but oh, it's good for us that he asked. It's good for us that Jesus told this story that we can live into. In reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, they went away, they left him half dead. A priest happens to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passes by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passes by on the other side. But a Samaritan. And I just, I just want us to pause on that moment, on that, on that definitive description of that person, because when the original hearers would have heard Samaritan, it would, it would ring in your ears as you would immediately write this person off. You would immediately hear that this is someone with a totally opposite kind of political view to you that can't do anything right at all. You, you would just go, ugh, one of them people, ugh, you, you write them off. But a Samaritan, as this person traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. It's, it's, it's you know, just kind of a good working day's wage. It's around 200 bucks. And gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you might have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. And by the way, Jesus is asking this question to an expert in law. He's asking a kindergarten question, a very simple question to someone who is looked at as an expert. And the expert replies, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus says, go, and you do likewise. Hmm. Our nation has collectively received through decades the experience of one of the best neighbors that you could ever imagine. That is Mr. Fred Rogers. <laughs> Mr. Fred Rogers is everybody's neighbor. And it was, it was, it was amazing. This, uh, 
this man, uh, this, this ordained Presbyterian minister would begin his day every day at 5 a.m. and he'd uh, have his devotions before the Lord. He would then take a swim and he'd do laps in the pool. He would leave the pool at 7.30. Uh, he'd weigh himself 143 pounds, dripping wet was Mr. Fred Rogers. And then he would go off to work at 7.30 a.m. It so happened that in the year 1971, after he had been working for PBS for quite a period of time, that it was proposed that the, we're gonna slash the, the budget in half for children's education through PBS. There's, Vietnam was going on, there were some things happening. So Fred Rogers says, well, let me go talk before Congress. And he has a conversation where it's incredibly compelling where he is in front of Senator Pastor who had been previously the governor of Rhode Island and he's an incredibly intimidating figure, very intimidating person. And, and Fred Rogers, he doesn't give a lot of stats or statistics. He talks about how his deep desire is that children know that somebody cares about him because this world is tough and it's a difficult place and sometimes they need a place to feel and express their emotions and, and they need to have someone who cares, a, a good neighbor. And at the end of this, this conversation, Senator Pastor, who is the chair of the uh, Committee on Communication says, well, I think you got your $20 million, gives him a smile and a wave. And, uh, but every episode of the Mr. Rogers Show, he would come in and he'd take off his fancy schmancy clothes and he would then zip up a little uh, cardigan where he was trying to display and convey to everyone that it's just time to, to, to be comfortable together and really enjoy our time and conversation. Every show started, I didn't realize this until I read on it. Every show starts with that blinking yellow light. I remember that blinking yellow light. And when I would see the blinking yellow light, I would think, hurry up, get this thing going. Uh, but the blinking yellow light was there because it was to intentionally tell us that we were supposed to slow down and be comfortable together. Well, Tamini is tickling the ivories right now to that theme song for Mr. Rogers, I'm going to put my comfy shoes on, and can we sing with Tamini? Uh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful, a beautiful day, day for a neighbor. Won't you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Thank you, Tomini. That was excellent, man. You know, it's just dawning on me. I think you could, you, you've got a lot of talents, but you could be the next Mr. Rogers. I think you got that going on, man. Ah, oh, Mr. Sango. That would be great. That would be tremendous. He could play the song himself. Oh, my goodness. We'll talk. We got ideas. All right. Um, A couple of questions that were asked, and uh, we're going to pursue this story of the Good Samaritan. Who's my neighbor? Oh, before that, here, here's what we're going to do. Look at the person. Look at the person next to you and just give them a good hi, neighbor. Just say, hi, neighbor. It's like, it's like your neighbor's the person because your neighbor's the person you share your path, your life path with. They potentially could be your neighbor. Anybody who crosses your path in life potentially is going to be your neighbor. The path that the individuals in the story that Jesus told walked was an 18-mile trek from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, a lot of uphill, a lot of downhill. It's 
a long kind of treacherous, a lot of windiness. Robbers stake that out. The paths we walk today in life are likewise, they're dangerous. It's a fallen world. And there are hurt and broken people in this falling world. And you know this, that hurt people hurt people. And, and they just do until, until hurt people are not hurt. They, until they receive the grace of God, until they understand receiving God's forgiveness and extending it to other people and living into God's wisdom, hurt people will just, they're just gonna hurt people. They can't help it. So on this side of eternity, we are constantly going to be confronted with physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, broken, wounded people that have been left for dead. Well, folks continue to walk, physically walk, the Wadi Kelt River Trail that is the, the, the part of the trail where we believe this narrative took place. It is no accident that you encounter the people that you will encounter in your life. God is intersecting you with intentionality and on purpose. And you share your life with all kinds of people are gonna cross your path. All kinds of, well, places that people might come from rural places, they might come from urban places, they might come from suburban places. You're gonna intersect with people who have athletic interest, academic interest, artistic interest. You're gonna come across all kinds of people with incomes. They have high income, they have low income, they have middle income, they have upper middle income, they have lower middle income, maybe they have lower, lower, lower income. All kinds of places. You're gonna have people with all kinds of heritage in their background. You're gonna come across old European immigrants and African Americans and Asian Americans and Hispanic people, whether they be from Puerto Rico or Guatemala or Mexico, Native Americans, Alaska Americans, Native Hawaiians, other Pacific Islands and other Pacific Rim folks, like from Micronesia and Polynesia, you're going to have come across new European immigrants. You're going to come across folks with Irish backgrounds and Polish backgrounds, and we save the best for the last, the Dutch. You might run across some Dutch folks. I ain't Dutch, so I understand ain't much. That's kind of how that little saying goes, but you're going to run across all kinds of folks. Who's my neighbor? The home that my wife and I first lived in after our academic years, we had eight years behind the church that I initially pastored in Wisconsin. And you're gonna see this pop up on the screen. You're gonna see the image of what the church is like kind of now from above, from Google Maps, but it was a really much smaller, smaller kind of location. We had that little, we had that home right behind about a football field behind it. Eight years, cornfield on one side, creek on the other, and all of a sudden we hear beside the creek, boom, bang, boom, bang, bust, bang. There's activity that is going on, and somebody's building a big honking house. Well, lo and behold, we got our first neighbor. And it was Bob and Chris, and Bob was a builder. He was a contractor. He built big, hunking, huge homes for people. He's building a big, hunking, huge home for himself. And his daughters, Jessica and Cassandra, sometimes when dad was working, they would just sort of navigate over to our house while Bob's putting the finishing touches on. And in one of those moments where Terry was talking to the girls, I think it was Jessica, uh, she asked Terry, so why do you live behind the church? And Terry said, oh, my husband's the pastor of the church. Oh, we hate church. We don't like church. And, and, and Terry 
out loud, she said, well, you're gonna like my church. That came out of her mouth, but, but on the inside, it's, I'm gonna sing you such songs of joy with biblical content that you can't help understand the wonders and the glories of God. And you're gonna be shouting for joy to know that Jesus is your savior and the God your creator. I tell you what, that was just welling within her. He's like, you're gonna like my church, kid. Um, well, <laughs> question. How can I be a neighbor? Answer, you walk towards people instead of walking around people. A Levite and priest are mentioned in this story, and I tell you, it really cuts home that individuals who would share a similar kind of vocational calling to me in that day towards this day, they were the walk-around people. It gives me pause to reflect. I don't think it's the first time that the priest and Levite walked around someone. I think it was their standard operating procedure. And the individual who's the Good Samaritan walked towards the individual who was hurting. And I don't think it was the first time that the Good Samaritan had walked towards someone who was hurting. It seemed like he was pretty familiar with that kind of moment. And he walked right into it. There was a study that was done at the seminary that I went to at Asbury Theological Seminary that one of the... Uh, professors would do intermittently. He would always give it a handful of years to make sure that people had exited before he ever tried this again. But he would give an assignment where you were to come and present, the students in the class were to present about their theological findings on the story of the Good Samaritan. But at some point in time before the class, he would park kind of a fake wounded and hurting individual somewhere within eyesight just off the pathway. And it was remarkable how many students would walk by, high percentage of students would walk by giving their theological treaties on how to help and be a good neighbor to people who are wounded along life's path. They'd walk right by and give that report. Now, here's some of the studies. Uh, sometimes he would put that person out 20 minutes before the class or 15 minutes before or sometimes just two minutes. But here it was, the, the, the closer it was to class time, the higher the percentage of people would walk by. When we get rushed, when we get in a hurry, we're not such good neighbors. Second question. Well, not the second question, but the wrap-up piece is this. So here's the question. The question's never what the expert in the law asks. Well, who's my neighbor? That's not the question. The question is what Jesus poses at the end, um, am I a good neighbor? Meaning, do you see yourself as a host or do you see yourself as a guest? If you simply see yourself waiting to be hosted by other people, you're a guest in life. And people that you encounter are gonna miss out constantly on you being a good neighbor. Let me just, let me just throw this out there. I'm not, I'm not digging on teens or younger folks. I'm digging on everybody. You know, it's pretty hard to encounter people along our path in life when our head's stuck down in our device. When our, when our, when, when our noggin's down in our technology, it is hard for us to have our eyes up and even see what is happening with people that our pathways cross. 
being a host, what does that mean? It means don't sit back and go, why don't they say hi? Why don't anybody smile? Why don't anybody? You go, you go, hey, how you doing? You put the smile on, you extend the greeting, you go, would you like a warm beverage? If you walk into somebody's house and they don't offer a warm beverage, go, would you like a warm beverage? Just ask them if they want a warm beverage. You just start and you commence to host it. In fact, know this, that everywhere you go, your heavenly father owns it all. So as a child of God, you can host away. It all belongs to your heavenly father anyway. And as children of God, you can host and you can greet and you can put a smile and you can have warmth. Now, I think you live into this. I think you do it. But let's just check and see. Let's just do a checklist of the things that it looks like to be a good neighbor. There's five dynamics that the good Samaritan was living out. And you just go, got it, got it. Ooh, maybe, maybe not. And you just run this checklist in this grid through and see how you're doing. Number one is this, that you and I need to be adept at basic bandaging. And now this could be physical things, but you know we're going into emotional, relational, spiritual kind of things. My, my dear daughter, who, Aaron, who wheeled Haley around at Indiana Wesleyan from classes while she was in her wheelchair, uh, is, is, a wonderful, is, is wonderful at walking towards wounded people, except physical wounds. I don't know, I don't know. Physical, if you say severed toe, just even say that to her. She goes, ah! Uh, so some of us get really squeamish if we sense somebody has some wounds in their life. We go, oh, I don't wanna go anywhere. Dude. See, we need to just know, you need to get adept at basic bandaging. He poured oil and wine on, some, some simple triage work, which means things like this, spiritually, I would throw this out, things that I think God's spoken into my life. When my friend Keith gets discouraged, and Keith gets discouraged sometimes, I don't necessarily sit down with him and go, oh, why so blue? I just want to, eh, come on. But instead, you'll go, let's go for a prayer walk. Either early in the morning or late at night, we're going to go for a 45. Let's go walk a couple miles. We're not even going to talk to each other. We're going to pray. And that's and that's, that's a good piece for his heart. When my friend Johnny gets stressed, and sometimes Johnny gets stressed because of work, you know, it's like, well, let's go out. We're going to bang the tennis ball around for a little bit. We're going to talk. And that's kind of the basic bandaging, the, the simple piece that needs to happen in his life. Second is this, that you better get okay with riding, sorry, with walking as opposed to riding. The good Samaritan had a donkey. And whether he was riding the donkey or had stuff on the donkey, he put the injured individual on the donkey. And so now he's either got to walk or he's got to carry the stuff that the donkey had. At some point in time, you just know it's going to take more effort and energy to be a good neighbor. My neighbor, Bob, walked towards my house and gave extra effort and energy time and time again. I can't fix anything. I'm not mechanically inclined. He's a contractor. And so for the next eight years, while we lived in Wisconsin, he kept coming over and fixing stuff and fixing it. My, my home was built by amateurs who, who loved Jesus but didn't know how to handle uh, a home. It was, you know, it was built before I got there, and there, there was a sense where you would flip a light switch, and the room would light up that's connected to that room, but it's not the right, in those that bothered Bob. So after a while, what Bob decided to do was, I'm gonna fix, he wasn't an electrician, but he knew enough to knock around in it. And I remember while Bob's working on the electrical stuff, every now and again, I'd hear, Dagnabbit, Dagnabbit, go, Bob, are you getting shocked? Did you just like, oh yeah, it's fine, it's fine. I've been electrocuted a couple of times, it's fine, it's fine, you know? 
We, we hit the point in time in the life of our church where we just needed more space, and Bob was a contractor, and he decided this. He goes, you know what? I can, I can build whatever you need built. I'm going to give you a great deal. And he put an education wing on the back of the church building for a song. And because we had the tool of that space resource, our church doubled in size in the next two years. He constantly exemplified what it meant to be a good neighbor by giving extra effort and energy. Third, here's what the Good Samaritan specifically did. Uh, he would take people to places of healing. I remember once when Bob came to my house and he was a hurting unit. I didn't know what in the world to do. And we went to the emergency room because it wasn't good. And the, basically, long and short, Bob had kidney stones. Da, da, da. He had kidney stones, not a good. So, but I, I didn't sit there with Bob and go, well, Bob, let me see what I can do about your ailment. You know, at some point in time, friends, you don't have to fix everything that your neighbor's got going on. You just got to get them to the place where somebody's going to help them. So maybe that means sometime you get them to the grocery store, you get them to the tutor, you get them, you get them to the counselor, you get them where they need to get got. That's what the good Samaritan did. Sometimes you just get him to Jesus too. I remember the night, it was one of those fall nights that was crisp and open and clear and starry and something kind of took me outside later than usual and I saw Bob over and we connected out on his lawn. We're looking up and marveling at God's glory and God's creation and we had this conversation. We've been friends for a while and Bob said, uh, he believed in God, he even loved God. But he says, you know, God can't really forgive someone like me. I've done such bad things. Oh, that, that, that trip to triggering me. I actually got angry. And I, did, and I did this piece here. I said, Bob, are you that arrogant? You think, okay, here, here, here's this. God says he can forgive you. God says he loves you enough to do it and he's powerful enough to do it. And you're sitting here saying that God can't do it? You're sitting here saying that God can't forgive you? That, that you've done something that God isn't powerful enough to, to overcome or, or God doesn't love you enough? So you're either saying that God isn't loving enough or powerful enough to reach a guy like you. Are you serious? And when he goes, well, you put it like that, I, I don't think, you know. And, uh, and right, right there in that moment, Bob prayed to say yes to Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of his life, partly just because he didn't think he was good enough. Friends, maybe there's someone here today and that our church family can be a good neighbor to you and maybe what you need to do today is say, God, forgive me. Jesus took my place. His blood covers anything that, that I, any work of mine, God's work does it. Forgive me and God, I want to follow you. Oh, pray that prayer right now. Pray it right now in your spirit, declare it. And, and would you be so kind as to use that little yellow card and indicate so on the back of it, drop it in the offering. We would love to celebrate with you, have a conversation with you, pray with you. Sometimes you just need to get them where they need to go. And sometimes it's an, in, it's an introduction to your savior. What do good Samaritans specifically do? Well, sometimes they open up their wallets. He, he threw out a couple hundred bucks. Long and short of it's just to say this, yeah, at some point in time it costs you money, you just better get over it and get used to it. That's just how it goes. You can never outgive God, by the way. You can never outgive God. God will always cover things that, that you need to have covered. 
What do Good Samaritans specifically do? Next on the checklist is you might plan a follow-up moment. Now, I believe this. I believe that many of your Good Samaritan experiences are gonna be kind of constant, ongoing things to people who are neighbors, to people who are on the team, to people who sit next to you in class. But there might be some people that, that your pathway just crosses and you have to be intentional to cross their path yet again and you have a follow-up moment with them. How you doing on your checklist? I think you're doing pretty well, but God's spirit will speak something to you if you need to, if you need to adjust. Would you stand? We're gonna do a couple of little exercises together and then I want to give you a blessing and pray over you. So here's what we're gonna do together. Can you rub your hands together? And we're gonna remind ourselves that gratitude is some grr and some attitude. So we're gonna do this again. You ready? Here we go. Gratitude. One more time. Gratitude. Excellent. So we understand that it takes some effort to experience the power of gratitude. Here's what I want you to do right now. So I've told you about my, my friend Bob, who's a really good neighbor. Uh, would you think of somebody who's been a really good neighbor to you? Someone who's exemplified this kind of love and this kind of caring? And we'll just simply do this. I'm, we'll say, thank you, God, for, and just name their name. And I'm gonna say, thank you, God, for Bob. And you say, thank you, God, for whomever it is placed on your heart. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Thank you, God, for Bob. Now you go and you do likewise. Lord God Almighty, 